Welcome back to the Remedial Film Class Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Travis. And I'm George. And George has seen like 15 movies. I mean, he's seen like 25. But how, I was how say, different? 10 of them are Jason movies. Yeah, how different are those Jason movies? I'm counting it as 15 movies Halloween, Friday, Friday 2, and then the rest all kind of fold in there. Oh, well, 9 and 10 are different. Oh, man, they are. <laughs> The angriest of all pickles. <laughs> the Jason pickle. Ooh. <laughs> With a mask. Don't give New Line any ideas. After that lawsuit, you do not need Jason Pickle. Part 11, Jason Pickle. Holy moly. Pickle versus Jason. <laughs> pickle versus Jason. <laughs> uh, I might watch that. Well, listeners, it may be mid-January 2021. It might be 2024. Heck, the world might end before we ever post this episode, but to us, in real life, it is still the middle of December, and so what better time to watch a Christmas movie that can play all year long, an American classic. Travis, what are we watching tonight? Uh, we are going to watch one of the best Christmas movies ever. Um, it's a Wonderful Life. Now, we are watching Die Hard. Die Hard. Die Hard. Which one? Oh, we're going to probably watch the first one, I think. I mean, they're all the same. Spoiler yeah. alert for Spoiler. Die Hard's <laughs> 2 through 7. I don't know. One of them has uh, Sam Jackson in it. Ooh, it that's true. Different. Yeah, I mean, uh, Die Hard. It gets a little hairy. <sighs> seen one, you've seen them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hey, now. <laughs> George, have you ever seen Die Hard? No, I have not. George, what do you know about Die Hard, man? Well, I know that there's some debate about whether or not it's a Christmas movie. No, there's no debate. Not on this show. Okay, so I, I know that it's a Christmas movie. Yes. <laughs> no, and honestly, I, re I really, somehow I don't know anything about it. I, I'm pretty sure it's an action movie. Lots of, like, you know, explosions and... Car chases and such, or something like that. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. It's no. Action. Good. Okay. Maybe we'll see. Probably not. But. Eh. Okay. All right. Travis. The trailer gives away some of that. I think. Don't watch the trailer. <laughs> Just watch the movie. Don't watch the trailer. <clears throat> Are we ready to set him loose, Travis? Of watch uh, some uh, just... hard dying. They just delivered the uh, little metal cart with the projector on it, and I just threaded it, so we're ready to go. Oh, the substitute teacher just wheeled in a giant CRT <laughs> TV on a cart yes. with a 1970s era VCR. Nice. Top loader. Uh, neatly strapped to the cart oh, so I mean, it doesn't tip over. You can't be squishing no kids. <laughs> Nothing but the best for George at the remedial film class. All right. Go watch the movie, George. Let's. Get to work. All right, George, we're back. You've seen Die Hard. It was amazing. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if you want to pass the class, it was amazing. It was amazing. Oh, okay. You passed. He passes. Yay. <laughs> the rest is extra credit from here on out. Just coast like you're a senior and it's like November. Did everybody mm. else coast from November on as a senior? No. Oh, man. You should have. It was no. fun. No. I coasted in like May. 
Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's all right, too. I mean, you can always just sleep with the teacher and you'll get an A, too. Just saying. Yeah, it depends on what school district you're in sometimes. That's true. That works. I should have known that. (laughs) (laughs) This was a Jason movie. (laughs) Jeez Louise. So, George, tell us your initial impressions of uh, a a little classic movie from 88 called Die Hard. Okay, so I already passed, right? Mm. Yes, you are. You... Yes, we uh, preemptively passed you. It's like a pardon for all your crimes. Done and to come. Uh, This is a movie. It's satire, right? It's a movie. Yeah. Okay. I mean, (laughs) so far, so good. I don't disagree with you as far as the things you've put Mm. out there. It is indeed moving pictures with sound. Is it satire? Oh damn! It's it's definitely genre driven. One of the f- not one of the first in the genre, but eh, a trendsetter, if you will, mm. in a horse beaten genre. The action film. Mm. This was kind of the height of all that. Okay. Um, I can see that. I I don't know. I I can't say that I didn't like it. Right. I it didn't stated. like it, but I definitely had to, you know, suspend disbelief a yeah. lot. It's uh it's a dated film, but I think it it uh benefits from nostalgia. Like most of its fans are people that grew up with it. Sure. Showing it to somebody new, it does it does uh sit in that cradle of yeah, I've seen this before. Uh many times. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not even thinking that. I'm not even thinking just not a good movie. that I've seen it before. I'm just thinking I don't know, there's there is lots of things. Um Like what? Tell us the things. I want to hear like, This is why we do this because we are so jaded yeah. with repeated viewings. We want to hear fresh virgin eyes impressions of this movie. Yeah, because we're tainted. The, this is like an iconic pop culture film. We've got Die Hard right Right in the taint. We need you to fix it. (laughs) (laughs) Again, everything very predictable. You know, Mm -hmm. everything gets wrapped up in a nice little bow, just like it should. Oh, quick question. Is Family Matters a diehard spinoff? Why? Because Carl? Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit. Oh, because he's a cop? Yeah, I guess it could He definitely got typecasted. To get yeah. Family Matters based on his yeah. role in this movie, it's his great performance as a believable cop that yeah. gave him. The, I mean, he was he was the heart of this He's film. He's my favorite was, character in the movie. I was yeah. waiting for Steve Urkel to pop up the entire <laughs> time. Did I do that? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Like when the building exploded. Mm-hmm. Did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good little addition. Um, no. But anyway, back to the uh, suspending no, he disbelief. Is the, he is the heart of the film. Like you, you don't you don't get any feels. If he's not in it, so I mean, there's yeah. there's a little bit of feels because uh, to me, Bruce Willis, this is him at his best. Oh, at his like <laughs> he's he's young. He's got the action hero thing thing going. He's got the bod. He's not. I mean, I guess Pulp Fiction would be. I wouldn't say it's his best. I really thought he whatever. came to a nice point in Color of Night. Yes, that's a good one too. 
That's a dick joke. But yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of wet behind the ears here. He, he's coming off of Moonlighting. He's done like two or three movies where he's been a bit part. So this is like his uh, coming out party, I think. This is what turned him into what he is. Have you ever seen okay. Independence Day, George? Yeah, a very long time ago, yeah. So when Independence Day came out, I remember I was a kid, see a commercial mm. for it, and I turned to my mom and I go, wow, they put the Fresh Prince guy in as a cameo. <laughs> and she's like, oh, mm. no, I, I read in Time Magazine, he's he's the star of the movie and he's real good. But even then, the commercials didn't emphasize him because if they mm. did, you wouldn't go see it because he's a TV comedy guy. Right. And it was Independence mm. Day that launched him into this blockbuster role that we know him now. So Bruce Willis, this was his Independence Day. This was when he broke out mm-hmm. of his kind of TV romantic lead kind of everyman thing into something bigger, but not like all the way Schwarzenegger. Right. That's a bit of yeah. context we probably need to go over for this one. Yeah, he was like the third tier like you had Schwarzenegger and Stallone were the action heroes. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Steven Seagal. Like Seagal and like Jet Li and all those guys. And then there was Bruce Willis. Which I, I guess he's, he's to me, like you said, he's an, an everyman kind of character. He's not the big buff, muscular you know, taking down airplanes with his bare hands kind of guy. Yeah, not in he, the first Die Hard anyway. Right. <laughs> Later on. But he's more the witty, almost like the, I guess, the Tony Stark type character where he's his his one-liners are good because they're delivered way better than anything Arnold would do. But he's just not as iconic as Arnold. But he's to me, he's the more likable action hero. Yeah, he was likable. It would be fun to juxtapose this with something like Commando, mm. where you have an Arnold character. We won't watch this movie on the on the show, so I'm just going to tell you, George. I love Commando. Oh, Jesus. Uh, it's so bad. It's so bad, and that's the thing. It's so bad. Like, yep. It's only a couple of years before this. You've got Arnold, mm-hmm. who's the biggest, literally physical, lar- largest star in the world, and mm-hmm. they try to expand him a little too quick into like, Caring, doting father roles and mm-hmm. stuff that he's just not ready for. And it's. Nah, he flops. wasn't kindergarten cop uh, Arnold. He was mm. like Terminator Arnold trying to be a dad, and it was just a little weird. You know who mm. else was in kindergarten cop? Carol Baker, genre film actress from the Italian films. The one that earlier, okay. on an earlier episode, I referenced an American female star who moved to Italy and basically did the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood thing. Right. Carol Baker came back to the United States. She's the bad guy in Kindergarten Cop. She's the mom, right? I don't remember. I got to rewatch it. Now that I know she's in there, I got to yeah. go back and watch I think that. She's movie. the mom of the of the 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 guy. Is the George ready? Villain. To watch Kindergarten Cop? I'm ready. Is George ready? I'm ready. I love that movie. It's but. not a tumor. <laughs> That's just the way you feel when you watch Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> I I think the issue we may have with George is he's going to he's going to expect everything to be Friday the 13th uh, part 8 no i mean in the in the curriculum sometimes we just start watching things because they're iconic and they might not be good i think it's a good movie but i think we but need I to it. establish it i think by right. sending him in dry like this we got to 
give them a little time to warm up, you know, loosen up a little bit, uh, relax in all the right ways. And by the end, right. I think he's going to accept it a lot deeper. Like uh, you get Alan Rickman from this movie, who was an absolute nobody at the time. Which and character he's, was he's he? Hans Gruber. So he's like oh. the main villain. And his delivery is very dry. His character is very meticulously you know, thought out. But he suffers from a bad script. It's a what? Bad, I think he's it's a bad script. He's but charming. I love him in th- I love him in this. Like I, I he's the saving grace of this movie uh that makes it A list. If he wasn't in this, it would be so B list. That's the way I feel. See now I thought I would be defending this movie with George. I didn't realize I'd also have to defend Die Hard to Travis. I feel No, I love this. I love it. Believe me, I love it. But it, it is definitely dated. Like when I was watching it uh, last night, and I watched a little bit of it today as well. It was, I, I, I had eye rolls for George. I was like, he's he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna totally RoboCop this movie. What were I some of your eye it. rolls, Travis? Just, just the whole. If it has that late '80s feel, uh, everything is like you said. There's so many foreshadowing events in the beginning that you know are going to come up later. Yeah. You know, the the shoes off, the, um, what was the other thing? It was the limo driver. The limo driver. Like all these different things that you knew were going to come up later. Uh, yeah. To me, it was, it was tropes for someone who has never even seen an action film. He was going to see them right away. I knew that. Now, Travis, I don't know if you're aware of this, but. In the theater, there's a rule that if you're going to have something on a table, that something on a table has to have meaning or else just don't have it on the table. No, you're right. That's a theater (laughs) rule. I hear you. It's the same thing. I've said that. I've heard you argue both sides of it now, so that's Mm -hmm. funny. Uh, No, again, I I have the train, and you do too. It's different when it's on the nose, though. Right. Like, I have the eye to see things and go... Okay, that's going to come up later. The, all the things that were in this movie that were going to come up later were like really it's obvious. Like, yeah, it was like kin- really, it was like kindergarten level, elementary kind of. Yeah, yeah. But it's still it's endearing for me, and I knew it wasn't going to be endearing for you because you didn't grow up with this movie. So yeah. I kind of was feeling it for you, and I knew as soon as he opened the door, it wasn't the reaction I got <laughs> when when he watched Silence. Like, oh my god, guys! Can I just say, I Silence. Of the Lambs might be my favorite movie of all time. It should be. I've watched it twice more since nice. we last recorded that episode. I also nice. rewatched it since we recorded that episode. It's a very. Good I movie. can't rewatch it because George has my copy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving it back. It's not giving it back. So now I got to find it again. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, that's great. And sometimes movies like this become. Uh, like some people, they watch this every Christmas. It it becomes their yeah. Christmas movie. So it's like th- they love it, even with the bruises and the, and the yeah. you know the the tropes and all that stuff. So I I have plenty of movies like that. Like Dan and I, when we we could argue about Predator. Predator to me is like probably plumage for him. Yeah. But we're gonna argue about that movie because I had it's near and dear to me, and I know that he might think it's just my nostalgia mm. but it's not so 
when it comes to movies like this, you're either going to love it or hate it, and then it becomes part of you whether you like it or not. And there's a lot of movies from the 80s that were like that where you watch it and you're like, wow, this really is not that good, but I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And he's one of those guys, like just like the quotes, like I was in the kitchen and I heard him do the... uh, Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. Like it's <laughs> like that is that's that's Bruce Willis. And yeah. if you ever saw him in Moonlighting, which you probably didn't, that's why he became a movie star because he was a TV actor and he had that charm and he had that delivery that transferred very quickly to this kind of movie where all throughout the 80s it was nothing but the one-liner. What is it that you're going to say? Every five minutes, there's going to be a catchphrase or a one-liner that becomes the At marketing. Least the one-liner in this movie, Yippee Kaye, is the is the one. Yeah, yeah. At least that's a good one-liner. That is a good one. I actually knew that. I I knew it before watching this movie, but I didn't know where it was from. Right. So. And it's been said both ways. Like, you have his version of Yippee Kaye, and then you have people that do nothing but quote the Rickman version. Where he's got the accent at the end, he's like, "How do you say mm. yippee ki yay, mother?" Like he's just right. almost like the guy from uh, <laughs> from Usual Suspects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he just has that accent that, and then when he drops the accent, like there's just a lot of things about him that he was nobody then, and then he became something huge as well. So it's it's fun to watch this movie and see, like you said, Carl from Family Matters, and then you have. Uh, I can't remember who the FBI leader is, but he's been in a lot of movies. Robert Davi, one of Dobby, my yeah. favorite B-grade celebrity guys. Yes. Every, <laughs> yes. He's like, awesome. Seriously, every like <laughs> kind of sleazy, erotic, drama, thriller thing, you know, those hybrid basic instinct ripoffs that were so mm-hmm. prominent from like 88 to like 94, he always pops up in those. Yeah. I had one the other day. It wasn't a, it was like some kind of sleazy action oh uh we were watching action jackson the other day action jackson and i was like this movie's amazing this may be my favorite action (laughs) movie ever and i'm like the only thing this movie's missing is robert davi and that son of a bitch showed up and i was like robert davi's here (laughs) it's now perfect right and see i remembered him from goonies like whenever i saw him pop up in a movie i'm like oh that's one of the bad guys from goonies Mm. and they probably he probably did a favor for whoever and, and and he's in this movie and he's playing one of the, you know, the bad guys. He's Agent Johnson, not the other Agent Johnson who's no, not related the other, to the first. The other Agent. So Johnson. the <laughs> other Agent Johnson who's not Robert Davi, is played by another one of my favorite character actors from this era. He shows up in stuff like Street Fighter the movie, Exorcist mm. Three. I'm sure he's in other stuff I've seen, but he has the second best name behind Fabio Testi, and in many ways, he's kind of the inverse of Fabio right. Testi. His name is Grand. L. Bush. So you've got Fabio <laughs> Testi in the Italian movies. You got Grand Bush in the in the American movies. I mean, this guy. Look him up. He's been in a lot of stuff that you like. Oh my God, this movie is is a showcase of a lot of '80s stuff. So I know. I'm, I'm like, I love it because it hits me right here. And then you're okay. like, this movie sucks. Because- Travis, you keep saying that like this movie's dated. All of these things and all of these references totally went over my head. I didn't right. even, I wasn't yeah, even thinking that stuff. None of these, I don't know any of these people. Like, none of them. It's not like I'm thinking, 
I'm not I'm not thinking that at all. Right. I'm thinking I can't figure out how the friggin' walkie talkies work. Like, <laughs> like you generally don't interrupt someone on a walkie-talkie because it's one way at a time. Right. Correct. Yeah, you're supposed to say over. Or Unless it's pull some the kind off. of other type of walkie-talkie, but like well, if, it was you 19- can, if it's more like a phone where you can go two ways, then I think no, there were two ways. Then there's like, no need to press a button. Yeah, I think they were like Motorola's, maybe. I don't know. But you still got to press what a button. Brand they are. But I mean, like How a two-way. I don't get this. How yeah. does this work? And then there was. Um, there were other things that that happened that were, you know, like, you know, when the guy, uh, one of the bad guys, goes takes a chainsaw and saws through like all of the yeah. all of the <laughs> conduit wires, and the phones go out and and the power didn't go out. Okay. The generators kicked in. Generators kicked in. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, there were, th- I can't remember specifically, but there were like things that were working. That shouldn't be working. Oh, I remember what it was. He pulls the fire alarm. And the fire alarm sends a signal to... The fire department. Those work on phone lines. Right. If the well, fire panel works, the phones should work. Right. They're the same thing. All right, screw this movie. I hate it now. Anyways, it <laughs> doesn't matter. He radios the cop frequency to get a hold of the cops. Mm-hmm. But they're listening. Right. The the lady in the dispatch says that it's a private frequency, and if you have an emergency, call nine one one, right? And like he's freaking out, and she's like, "Oh, it's a possible crank call." You don't get a possible crank call on a radio frequency, do you? No. Like, I don't know. I think that call would have been taken more seriously. But like I'm saying, like I was like, okay, suspend. You know, I, George, right. rational you, mind to just watch the movie. This movie is yeah, pre nine eleven, George. I think you need to remember it was a lot more casual yeah. back in the eighties. Yeah, like McLean has his gun on the plane. Also, was there a big <laughs> issue with like German terrorists in the late eighties? Uh, no. Why were they it, German? Have you ever heard of a German terrorist? I th- wasn't that explained. Were, weren't those like uh, foreign bonds or something? Yeah, they're not actually terrorists, George. They're bank robbers. They're bank robbers. This is a heist film, which I don't know if you've ever watched a heist film, but that's all this is. Mm -hmm. So he's listing off other terrorists, and yeah, there's like this elephant in the room missing, where are all the German names that you want to release? And it's because they don't know any. He just repeats names he's heard on like TV. But yeah, they, they clearly say a few times that law enforcement keeps saying terrorists. But they never label themselves as, and they right. never really give demands. Right. They well, no, have a plan. The whole thing is that they, they they're it. using the terrorism fake out to right. escape with the money. So they are actively advertising themselves as a freedom liberation front type thing. So that's intentional. Right. And McLean even says that at the end. He's like, you did all this for, for a robbery? Like, you, you took 30 hostages, you did all these things, you're blowing up buildings all to cover up the fact that you're robbing the place. I mean, it's a lot of money. Right. Yeah, it's like Ocean's Eleven without, you know, good-looking guys. Ocean's Eleven was better. Well, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's way more thought out. I think this movie was. It suffers from a lot of the movies in the like we constantly discuss. Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? We're like, oh, they're just going for the money grab. They're going for the the genre, you know, tropes. They're doing all these things that are making money, and they're not really worried about writing a story. Then you get Die Hard with a good script and that's called Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. 
So it's so like, I was also thinking like, what is in the, what is in the vault? What's really in the vault? Because it's you know they they said that they were there for all these bonds that were worth this much money, and I was like, mm, I don't know, what's really in yeah, that? Vault? Weren't they banknotes or something? Yeah, it? yeah. It's, it was money. Yeah, yeah, basically bonds, money, but. I was thinking it's got to be more important than money, the right. reason why they're there. And it wasn't. Right. The twist then, is that there isn't a twist, kind of. Oh, God, it's terrible. <laughs> and so he upgrades to kidnapping. Why? The the villain? Yeah, well, he kidnaps... Uh, well, it gets personal. Holly, right? Yeah. He kidnaps Holly because it's, because it's personal? It's personal. You would obviously want to do that to compromise McLean, right? Right. But they take her, they take her, they kidnap her, right? But they don't ever use it to take, to even like hatch any kind of plan that makes sense to get McLean. Right. Like, right. Use her as bait. They just, they never, well, I guess they they kind of do, but not, they don't say it. Yeah. Yeah. They just take her with them. And I'm like, that was kind of lazy. Like if you're gonna do that, like, like really yeah. make me think you're gonna get McLean, or or at least try. Oh, and the gun when he hands Hans the gun, the handgun. Yeah. Right. I know it's not loaded. Right. It can't be loaded. Like but his great acting didn't portray oh the fact that he God. didn't know that he was Hans. Oh my God. <laughs> he got me. I was like, why is didn't, he handing him a loaded weapon? Didn't get me at all. <laughs> oh my god yeah i mean i think you've seen too many movies and that's why this was so predictable yeah george so ahead, Dan. george's problem <laughs> is he's seen too many movies he's that's seen the too problem many movies. it's weird how he all these things are predictable but he hasn't really seen a lot of action films so that's good and it's bad for us because now now we have to change what we're going to show you we change mm. nothing <laughs> we change nothing <laughs> Because if he starts telling me a couple other movies are bad, <laughs> then I'm, just, I'm cashing out. <laughs> so here's the thing, George. Let me put this into a little bit of context for you, because I think while it's been fun to throw you in without any kind of context, I think maybe we've done you a slight disservice, uh, not unlike RoboCop, where you just mm. need a little bit more upfront. And by the end, I'll be interested to hear what you think. Okay. In a lot of ways... And this is going to seem facetious, but it I mean it. In a lot of ways, this was like the Silence of the Lambs of action movies in 1988. I'm going to let you sit on that for a minute and just see how it feels. He's like, what? Um, no. So here's what the 80s m- gave My us. eyes are in the back of my head. Okay, so in the 80s, what you had was a giant box office just full of Chuck Norris's, Steven Seagal's, Arnold Schwarzenegger's. These are all action film stars that someday you'll get to see them in moving pictures. Mm -hmm. And the thing that all those guys share in most of their movies is they're like Michael Myers without the mask and with a big old machine gun. They're murdering people left and right. Whether Mm -hmm. or not they're actually robots in the movie, they're not taking any damage. Uh, at worst, they're inconvenienced into some of their like outfit being torn or something. And at the end of the movie, they might have a little bit of blood on them, but they're still like standing strong and muscly and gleaming and 
victorious without casualty and all their friends are dead because they kill all their red shirt friends. Mm -hmm. This movie gives you no red shirt friends. This movie gives you a hero who from the moment he steps off the plane is just getting in his own way and kind of failing to execute with any kind of panache, right? Like this guy's doing the thing, but he's doing it in a workmanlike fashion. This is revolutionary at the time mm -hmm. for mainstream blue, blue Hollywood power. action movies. You just don't see a guy with cut up feet and blood and scratches and like having to tape a gun to himself because he's got himself in a predicament. I mean, dudes, this is like a turning point for Hollywood. I like that. I didn't think of that. It's true though. Cause again, like you said, he needs a frame of reference when it comes to the ridiculousness that is action movies. And this kind of doesn't fall. There's a lot of ridiculousness in this movie, but like you said, they, they kind of take, take the hero and humanize him a lot. He definitely takes on some shrapnel. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. In every movie, the director has to pick the things that they're going to put their energy into. And in this movie, they're not worried whether the radios follow FCC guidelines or functional logic. They're worried about <laughs> giving you Bruce Willis in the perfect vehicle, right? This book, this was based on a book. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I need to read the book. I shouldn't prejudge. It's probably not a good read. But it's think? like <laughs> it's like a retired detective saving his daughter instead of a hmm. Bruce Willis-aged guy saving his wife. Like They rewrote the movie based on the source material, but to fit Bruce Willis because they knew... The thing that Arnold and Chuck and Steven and all those guys from the 80s were lacking was... Charm. I don't want to say acting ability, because Arnold turns around and actually is a pretty decent actor, it turns out. Uh, and Stallone. Stallone's a good actor. And then there's Seagal. He's, they suffer from delivery. He does good front anything. kicks and stuff. Yeah. Can't run. Steven Seagal <laughs> can't run. Uh, Why does he need to run? Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine him in Running Man 2? <laughs> Oh, I'm going to for a bit. Hold on. <laughs> anyway, Bruce Willis is the difference between what you got in the early to mid 80s and then what you get in the 90s. This is the first 90s mm. action movie. And after this, everybody, even Seagal, has to start taking some battle damage. Some of his friends survive. Like the rules change because of this movie. That makes sense. Okay. So you may want to like reframe your expectations, right? This is not a Tom Clancy technical thriller where everything's going to work out and follow like the laws of physics. Because if they did, John McClane would have been dead seven times in this movie. Like it's almost like a home alone level of ungrounded action mixed with character. It is much like Home Alone, actually. It does have a lot of Home Alone in it. Or Home Alone has a lot of this in it, which, it, yeah, more like that. Now, Dan, what do you think of this? Because like, when I was watching this, I was kind of thinking of Lethal Weapon as well. They kind of came out at the same time. It, it kind of had that same premise. The Mel Gibson character is the same way. like, And Danny Glover's character. like, They take on a lot of shrapnel, and they survive, but it's like a the same kind of thing where it makes an A-list version of a B-list action film with acting, with good act, with uh, good character development and 
making them human. They're not indestructible like a Schwarzenegger or uh, Stallone. So I think when they when Mel Gibson does it and then Bruce Willis does it, it kind of changes the game because you no longer need that big muscle bound Terminator anymore. They're relying more on the smart ass, you know, dialogue driven action hero. Right, and uh, yep, yeah, you're right. Lethal Weapon, very similar era. Now a different tact, right? Because that's your yes. buddy cop dynamic. Where this, if they're buddy cops, they are definitely separated by by time and space, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl Winslow and Bruce Willis. Um, <laughs> Carl Winslow. But I do that. So yes, uh, it is a sign of a changing market. But George hasn't seen the original market, so he just right. doesn't know yet. But he okay, will so eventually. because because this movie was not as not a, I don't want to say not as bad, but like not as cliche as other movies. It's good. Well, it's, I would put it in the same realm as like Halloween. When you watch Halloween, you might say, "Oh, I saw that coming." Oh, they're doing that, which is so predictable. Basically, George, but you when, are Travis's kid right now. Right. So when it came out, it was new. It was it was it was yeah. cutting edge, but after I mean this. I don't know. I did, maybe this is just one that doesn't stand the test of time. <gasps> it's possible, but what? I mean, I hear you, Dan. I, I think I'm, it does, but I know it's dated. I, I li- I'm hearing <laughs> everything you're saying, and you're saying, "Well, these other movies were worse than this," and I'm like, "Okay, that's great." I still this this one still didn't do it, but even those ones that were silly still have merit. They're just not going mm-hmm. to be giving you a technical, realistic George thinker, right? Right. It is hilarious yeah. that we watch 10 Jason movies in a row, 11 Jason <laughs> movies in a row, and Die Hard is the one that you have trouble with the most. That cracks me up a little bit. Oh, I had plenty of <laughs> troubles with Jason, trust me. <laughs> he was being nice. No, yeah. Well, I mean, hey, you knew when I didn't like a Jason movie. Oh, yeah. Um, but even like with a Jason movie, it's like, you know, you go into it like knowing what it is like this is you know r- ridiculous this is a christmas movie called die hard where did we go wrong <laughs> like, this is <laughs> what were your expectations i don't i don't know I, I mean i guess i don't i don't know i first of all i didn't know it was a christmas movie i mean i knew that there was some debate about whether or not it's a christmas movie right i think it is after watching it but He's got Christmas tape that he uses for the gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a Christmas movie because, you know, mom and dad come home, you know, for Christmas at the end, right. which is nice. It's, it's, it is kind of funny. It's it's like a Hallmark movie with action. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, is that is kind of cool. You know, the kids hope the parents stay together or get back together. I mean, right. guys, and it's an action movie. <laughs> it's also a Christmas movie. But let's not forget, it also deals very deeply with family matters mm-hmm. not the tv show but the actual i mean yeah. situation no it does family no yeah it deals with family matters and guys i need you to know that family matters mm-hmm. it sure well, does as a kid whose dad walked out when he was a senior in high school i watched it thinking oh my god like they were they were on the rocks basically i never knew my parents were fighting were they i couldn't tell and then all the well, yeah. I mean, I'm just kidding. No, I'm okay, just kidding. I yes, I could tell. 
<laughs> but my par- my parents were fighting constantly. I didn't even know it. Like my dad just walked out, and, mm. I'm, and I'm like, "Wait, what? There's a problem." Yeah, you did get some of that here. But this, you get you get to see the the dynamic between them two, and even though he's so pigheaded that he's causing the argument, he knows that he's the f- at fault for why she feels the way she feels. So it's like. It hits it hits hard because that's why I remember eventually I find out that that was the problem with my parents was it was like my dad was pushing my mom to do to be someone and then once she became that person my dad didn't like that person mm. so it was like in this she's trying to become successful she's moving on she's trying to be somebody and then he can't you know allow that for whatever reason and she leaves the room he knows he's being an asshole. But he's still being an asshole in her presence, because yes. he's he's just stubborn. Yeah, I got it. They they did a pretty good job of that. But then in the end, traumatic experiences always. I mean, they they cover this in a lot of movies where trauma either brings you back or sends you even further apart. Just depends on where you're at. Yes. So there's redemption quality in this as well. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally predictable redemption. Yeah. There's, there's found like you said, family matters. You got the the angry German twin. Yes. <laughs> who <laughs> Mad about somehow, his brother. <laughs> who somehow survived, he survived being hung. Yeah. I mean, he mm-hmm. was Jason with a styrog, is what he was. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned earlier that Carl Winslow. Uh, I really shouldn't call him Carl Winslow, but <laughs> Al Powell, right, played by the Al great Powell, yeah. Reginald Vell Johnson, who, if he's in anything, I'll watch it because he's amazing. Great dad. He has the cleanest arc of anybody in the movie, right? Mm. He is the one who has the growth from desk job, afraid to draw his weapon, to actual legitimate hero. Mm-hmm. Clean mm-hmm. arc. And I like the progressiveness of it. Like it's 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 something that's relevant today. There's cops out there who don't make good decisions, and they don't care about what they've done. With him, it's obviously affected him. That mistake mm-hmm. affected his entire life. Yeah, and it was kind of. It's kind of good to see that because most action films, the cops are all assholes. They're all just basically walking muscle, muscle heads. Yeah. And this guy. Like all the rest of the cops in this movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. He, he kind of sticks out like a sore thumb because he's, like I said, he's the heart of this movie. Yeah. If he's, for sure. If he's not in this movie, is there's, there's nothing there. It's another Steven Seagal film mm-hmm. where his family could get wiped out right in front of him and you could give two shits. So you're just like, whatever. Let's just say this, George. You're not getting a lot of complex family relationship drama and character development in the Delta Force starring Chuck Norris, right? You're getting roundhouse kicks and machine gun fire, but you're Mm. not getting lines of dialogue spoken by your lead actor. Mm -hmm. Like this movie really transcends multiple genres all at once in a way that very rarely done to this point. And now with actors like Will Smith who have taken comedy drama action and just like you know created entire franchises out of them the rock i mean dudes you don't get Mm -hmm. the rock without bruce willis no Mm. no you don't the rock's whole thing is bruce willis just like handsomer and musclier Mm. and funnier and more suave and more funny yeah i'll have to correct what i said earlier this is not him in his prime i think there's a movie um Oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of it. It was him and Damon Wayans. And uh, 
he played a cop, and it was maybe ten years later. The Last Boy Scout. The Last Boy Scout. It lost me, but yeah, the Last Boy Scout is probably one of the best versions of seeing him get to the point where he is who he is. Like, Great, let's watch that. I would watch that as well. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Bruce Willis podcast. <laughs> yeah, can we at Bruce? He no. doesn't care. I watched. I watched his uh, roast. I think he's good with whatever you say. Oh, he doesn't give him. a crap about what we're saying about him anyway. <laughs> he's from Jersey. Is he really? Yeah. He seems like a. De- I mean, I. He seems like a likable person. I. I actually. I actually did like him in this movie. You should. I. I think it was. You should like. This I think movie. it was everything else <laughs> that I didn't like. I don't know. You should like it. Um. No. Like. I don't know. Oh God. I think I'm next- still thinking of things. Things are just popping in yeah. my head. Like, why are the SWAT? Why is the SWAT team trying to pick the lock on the door? What? <laughs> Why did LAPD has like some kind of like eight wheeled vehicle that gets stuck on the stairs? Well, George, what the frig? It helps the plot along. You don't always want to do a dynamic entry, and I'm sure by the early because I keep in mind 88 years uh, as we often do on this show. Welcome to SWAT Corner with Dan. <laughs> so we talk about the development of SWAT teams over the years. I thought that too. I was like, yeah. Dan's going to talk about the militariza- militarization of the police. I mean, they have a tank, again. dude. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they do. But it gets stuck on the stairs. But, but they had Rick Dukerman in the sewer. Or the we're <laughs> still in this movie takes I place like how, where we're still in the yeah, blue wait, pajamas. What with was the going on rifle. with the guy in the sewer? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm talking over you. I need to know <laughs> what was happening. What, what he was, was happening. trying to tell them, I could do this right here. Right. Then, yeah. Yeah. yeah the work. <laughs> yeah. The worker's like, like, no, no, I can do it. <laughs> and the boss is like, no, he can't do it. And he's yeah. like, no, but I, I, I can. That's the great Rick Dukerman. I think. I think a lot of workers identify with that worker mm-hmm. right that sewer guy i was like no, oh no no i can i can do that he's another 80s gem that you have no idea about okay like uh, th- if, if you see the burbs or you see like a lot of movies from the 80s where he's like always the great sidekick best friend like smart ass yeah that was a great yeah. moment that happened there i was just that the dynamic between the worker and the boss and the FBI mm-hmm. and the and the worker was just like, okay, I'll shut down the whole, <laughs> which is what they <laughs> the wanted whole, him to do grid. originally. Like they planned on that, they needed that. Yeah, and they had the book. They're like, okay, they're going to do this. They're that was do funny. This. And I like I like the computer guy. When I was a kid, I always loved that yeah. guy. We used to always we used to always say, and the quarterback is toast. Like we used to do that all the time <laughs> for <laughs> whatever. Because that was like a great one line. That and Welcome to the Party, Pal. Like all these different things. There's like probably 10 or 15 in this movie where, A, we probably weren't even supposed to be watching this movie at that age. But it was just, because this is pretty vulgar. This movie's oh yeah, definitely 80s. I love how every time he walked past the electrical panel and saw the poster, like he did like have to stop and look at it. (laughs) When I say he, I mean Bruce Willis. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot, like, a lot he, of f bombs. He in just movie. kept like every time he passed it, he was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, he's a real dude. Yeah. Well, and like half the time, he, I forget how violent this movie is, and then the guy's knees explode from the gunfire, and I'm just like, ooh, yeah. yeah. Oh, kids aren't watching this so for a long good. time. But then they artistically and subtly kill the uh, the one guy that kind of tried to turn on him, the real smarmy guy, mm. uh, Ellis. The- the Coke guy. Ellis. Yeah. They don't show his death. Donald Trump Jr. No. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's uh 
that's subtly like artistically done. But then there's yeah. ten headshots and kneecappings and all that stuff. But that one shot meant more than a lot of the other ones, and they didn't even show it. Yeah, that was a good exchange. It meant more because they didn't show it, not just right. accidentally. Like that's it's a good that's good that's making a good movie. That is successful movie making is what that is. This movie has a lot of successful movie making moments, even if the radios work funny. <laughs> I love the throwing the guy out the window too, to get the cops' oh attention. Oh my god! That oh my moment. god! That was so ridiculous. I love that though, because it was it was such a happy moment. Like he's just like, I'm gonna go about my business, and this body falls out, and that that's the only way. Like, how are you gonna get this guy's attention? He's 25 floors away from you. He's right. just gonna go home and bring those donuts to his pregnant wife or whatever, <laughs> and everything's yeah, going fine, and everybody's having a night. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Such a good moment. <laughs> it's 1988. Nothing gets your attention like a body from the 30th floor. I mean, it's a little Jason Voorhees action. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. Which you know, I'm uh, there's 10 things I want to talk about simultaneously, so I'm going to say them all, and we'll just we'll just roll with it. Yeah. This is that era when SWAT teams are still wearing blue pajamas. This is mm. pre-body mm-hmm. armor, so you know it yep. happened before Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty fun. But yeah, there no are Chris Isaac. in a situation like that where you've got hostages and they're 25 floors up, a SWAT team is not going to drive through the front door. They're mm-hmm. going to try to sneak in and hope they can get around the surveillance. So that, I mean, there's some legitimacy there. Obviously. You know what it was missing, Dan? What's that? <laughs> the uh, SWAT dressed as window washers using oh. <laughs> <laughs> the window washer from the roof. Oh, that would have been To get so to good. the floor. That would have been so funny. I just thought of that. I'm like, that is such a cliche thing that they did not do see look at that they were trying to play it more realistically (laughs) and have them try to pick the lock on the front door yeah no that's how you get into things if you can't drive the tank through you've got to pick the lock man i mean how are you i don't know i don't know much about swat tactics i think (sighs) if you were doing a stealth entry you would need to find a way to breach a door without exploding it with C4 or ramming your tank through it. So if there's a lock on the door, you're probably going to have to pick that lock. Yeah, but it's the front door. There's a side door. Like, whatever. It's an exterior door. Like, even the villains, like, came in through the parking garage. Mm. You know? Like, there's a better way to do it. I think, obviously, this, this movie, it totally bypassed the first... It bypassed all uh, normal procedures for a hostage situation, right? So LAPD was taking care of this for way too long before the FBI got there. Hmm. And they were doing things that a police force would never do. Would never do. Like what? The FBI would come in and they would try to make contact with the people that were taking hostages. Mm -hmm. And that would make sense because... All the hostage takers are looking for is time, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're going to fake their deaths and get the heck out of there anyway. So if you just followed normal police procedure, you would have a negotiation going on instead of all of the things that were going on that didn't make any sense. Keep in mind, though, mm-hmm. again, pre-9-11, uh, your terrorist playbook at this time was time is on our side. We have days to get this done. Right. They'll negotiate for 
for weeks on the tarmac. Yeah, this is when they used to let the planes take off and land again and then talk mm-hmm. to them and then take off and land again and then talk to them. Like up until 9-11, you just kind of, you waited them out. Hmm. Things that, are different that's now. That's kind of what I'm. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like, they didn't do that in this movie. You would think that they would do that. They would wait them out, and they would, they would do all kinds of things. They would set up all kinds of, you know, in the buildings around them, like just spots in the in the adjacent buildings where they're, you know, spying in, and they got snipers, and they got like the. You know, like, I don't know the real, like I said, I don't know SWAT tactics, but I know that there's better ways than trying to pick the lock on the front door. Well, and another thing we have to address outside of SWAT corner, I'll leave SWAT corner uh, yeah. for now. It's important to the, the core of the movie, right? The higher up the chain we go in Die Hard, the worse everybody is at their jobs. And this That's movie much like real life, yeah. is pre-Ruby Ridge. Right, we haven't yet hit the '90s, right? When things got a little out of hand for some of our uh, upper tier law enforcement. The reason the FBI guys are so stupid in this movie, and the, you know, Dwayne T. Butthole or whatever the guy that is the the suited supervisor of mm-hmm. uh, Al Powell, the reason these guys are so stupid is because the perspective of this movie and the intent of this movie is to show you ground level working class people like. Al Powell and John McClane. These guys... And sewer guy. And sewer guy. Sewer guy is key because he's a non-police example of the only people that can actually do their jobs. So you Mm. have to have ludicrous SWAT stuff. You have to have Robert Davi on a helicopter with a sniper rifle. Like, because the idea of the movie is to show you this ground-up perspective where the only chance that those people have in the building is John McClane. If you don't establish Mm -hmm. that, then John McClane is being reckless and he should just lay low and let the big boys handle this. So you have to make the big boys incompetent to give him the arc of the hero that he becomes. It's necessary to tell a story. True. Hmm. Hey, Dan. Can I give you the the list of actors that turned down the role of John McClane? Ooh, I think you should. Sylvester Stallone. Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ooh. Robert De Niro. <coughs> Harrison Ford would have been good. Charles Bronson. <laughs> Nick, Nol- Nick Nolte. <laughs> Mel Gibson. Richard Gere. Don Johnson. Burt Reynolds. And they all declined. And another fun fact, you mentioned the detective book that this is based on. When it was that premise, Frank Sinatra was in talks and or in interested in playing the detective. Well, actually, uh, Frank hmm. Sinatra played the same role that became John McClane in a movie right. called The Detective based on another book by the same guy. So I totally buy that one. Hmm. In a way, this is like a semi-sequel to a movie called The Detective. Uh, just that detective who retires and becomes the John McClane of the book is old and retired. Right. So, and the other fun fact, yeah. Commando and Die Hard, both written by the same guy. Well, and Predator and Die Hard directed by the same guy. Right. That guy had a heck of a run because he did that, and then he went on to The Hunt for Red October. Have you ever seen that, George? Mm-hmm. It's a great film. I have not seen that, but that's a Clancy novel. That's, that's a great the film. The Clancy novel that got him dragged in front of the National Security Council asking how he found mm-hmm. out all this cool information about our uh, our underwater boats. 
Um, and it has Sean Connery, so there's really no other reason. And yeah, Alec Baldwin when he was still handsome. And Alec Baldwin, yeah. Handsome Alec Baldwin. <laughs> when, he, when he was his brother, Stephen. <laughs> or not Stephen, who's uh, Daniel. No, who's the other one? I, there's, there's four of them, Too right? many Baldwins, no. man. <laughs> too many Baldwins. <laughs> there's one Baldwin there's one that was there's good looking. a bunch of red shirts. That's, he's, looking at, <laughs> he's looking at me like, what's what's a, Baldwin's other brother's well, name? You know I don't Baldwin know. Sorry, you're the face of the show that I'm seeing. <laughs> I don't that I'm doing. Know. I'm doing the thing, and I'm looking at your face. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and the other thing I noticed when I was uh, looking through stuff, Bruce Willis was such a nobody that the predominant thing on the poster was the building. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because that I, funny. I. That's funny because obviously I was. I might not have even been around when this came out. Um but I I think of when I think of Die Hard, I think of him in the vent with the lighter. Right. That's that's what yep. I think of. And it was funny as I know somebody that actually made that into a Christmas ornament for their tree. They did like a tin foil box and they cut a picture of a screenshot of him holding the lighter mm-hmm. and they hung it on their tree. Yeah, that's cool. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this isn't the first movie to have ventilation as a means of oh God, no. you know hiding it's it's a cliche already when this movie did it but after this movie i mean everybody ended up in a ventilation shaft for like the next yep. 10 years i was watching an x-files the other night where scully was stuck <laughs> in the ventilation i'm just like man everybody but one of the best ones is a movie that george has seen so we can talk about is the fifth element mm. uh, which is bruce willis a lot of bruce willis which might be movie. his best movie and i love the fifth <laughs> element blue yeah. opera lady that might be the crescendo. Is the fifth element the cli- you don't you don't get him in the fifth element without this the climax? Yeah, it's like the the climax, you guys, the crescendo of his character. You can't talk about climax and Bruce Willis unless you talk about <laughs> Color of Night. Color of Night, right? Which is kind of an American Jallo. Yeah, a little bit, which is weird. Never thought of that until I met you. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Where else are you gonna? I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that one, uh, it feels like it should have Grand L. Bush in it, but it doesn't. Uh, but it does have Brad Dorif in it, or Brad Dorif, one of my favorite actors. I've never known how to say his name. Uh, mm. He is in Exorcist Three with Grand Bush. See, it all comes full circle. Mm. Wow. Hell mm. of an actor. Hell of an actor. Would have been good in Die Hard. Actually, I would argue he would have been a better Hans Gruber, even though I love Alan Rickman. Mm. This was his screen debut. Rickman. Mm. They originally talked to Sam Neill. Oh, I love Sam Neill. Who was from Jurassic Park. And he played Jurassic a very convincing uh, Jared Kushner in Omen 3. Mm. <laughs> 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 I love when you guys talk about actors because I have no idea who these we, people are. Oh, Sam Neill is What's a funny is boss. these are, yeah, you've seen Sam Neill in a lot of things. Even, even your eight movies that you've seen. You've seen Jurassic Park, right? No, maybe not. I don't know. It was a long time ago. What year did it come out? 93. Yeah. You was a child. I was five. Could have sworn I showed that to you, but maybe not. Episode No, no, I definitely saw it. Yeah. But it was a long, long time ago. In a galaxy far, far long, away. Long, long time ago. I, Dan, secretly, I think he likes the movie. I think he does, too. I think we're getting through to him. <laughs> there, Yeah, there's there's parts of it, Dan, when you pointed out, like, like that the supervisors have to be incompetent. Mm-hmm. That kind of that kind of got me, 
you know, because I relate to that. And I think a lot of people relate to that. You know, the actual like boots on the ground worker being the only people that are competent. That's a that's a good theme. Mm. I like that theme. It plays well, especially these days. Yeah. Well, obviously, incompetence hurries the story along, makes you feel despair, makes you feel like, who the hell is going to save this? These are the people in charge. And he single handedly saves everybody because people that are supposed to be saving you don't know what the hell they're doing. And by the way, guys, I didn't say that I didn't like this movie. I think you did, though. You kind of did. Yeah. No, 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 no. I said, no, I said it was a movie. <laughs> I didn't say it was a terrible movie. You did. Or I didn't say it was a masterpiece. I said it was a movie. What you didn't say, because you've already said it, was did you guys purposely make me watch the worst movie ever made? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't even remember what movie that was. That was the RoboCop. Oh yeah, yeah, RoboCop. Oh, RoboCop that was so that good. Was, that was bad. I'd buy it for a dollar. Schooled me. <laughs> I'd buy I it have. for five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I bought it for fifty cents. Oh man. <laughs> Can we talk about guns some more? I want to talk about yes, guns. Yes, please. Okay. Yes. What is the actual weight bearing potential of the uh, extending stock of an MP5A5? Because definitely enough to hold a human being, I think. Uh, okay. It's a real definitely. thin metal, and you're pulling on it sideways. I really don't know if it would do that. Uh, I kind of want to try. So if anybody wants to let me borrow your MP5, it's got to be an A5 or an A2 because I want that ex- or A3, excuse me, A3 or A5, odd numbers. I want an extending st- uh, stock so that I may hang from it and see if if it'll hold me. I think it will. That'd be bad. I put a twenty on it. Okay, so yeah, listeners, uh, anybody that's got an MP5, uh, A, A3 or A5, <laughs> hit me up. I gotta know. Um, I forgot to look and see if it was select fire or three round burst, so it, it might have been an A3. Hmm. <laughs> I'll go back and look that up for later. I'll put it in the show notes if it if it's interesting. Hey guys, this movie establishes a rule that I think is bananas, but it works so well in terms of blocking action scenes that I guess I just love it anyway, even though it's insane. Are you guys familiar with the diehard rule for firearm equivalents? No. Okay. You remember the Obviously old, not. You remember the old me. cartoons where it'd be like Tom and Jerry, right? Tom pops up with a knife. Jerry pops up with a machete. Then Tom pops up with like a broadsword and Jerry comes back with like a pistol. And they just escalate, escalate, escalate. Up. It's right. the escalation that we talk about in Batman Begins, right? Mm-hmm. Escalation. Now we have body armor, so they get armor-piercing rounds. What are mm-hmm. they going to do when they have you, Batman? Right? It's true. I don't do a Gary Oldman impression, so that you just get <laughs> gruff. But anyway, this movie, much like it's from the ground-up perspective with its characters, has an inverse relationship uh, between large firearms and small firearms. What you'll notice if you go back and look, in any matchup between John McClane and a bad guy, he always is outgunned. In every scenario, he has a smaller or equal gun to his opponent, and he always has the advantage. Meanwhile, the SWAT team shows up with a tank, and they get their asses kicked. The FBI shows Mm. up with air cover and a sniper rifle, get their asses kicked. But... John McClane, with a toothpick, could take out somebody with a machine gun, if given the opportunity. It's a very strange, but intentional choice. It's a philosophy that, you know, 
it works great on the screen. Yeah. And it's consistent through the entire movie. Yeah. I like it. Very strange. <laughs> but intentional. I mean, obviously it creates a, a sense of tension when you know for sure that the hero is outgunned, right? You're a cowboy uh, yeah. character. All he has left is his six-shooter. And he's got to fight the guy with the Maxim gun. Yeah, I like the two bullets at the end. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you obviously you see it coming. But they do it in a way... Because, again, that's another trope with the, the hostage ducking out of the way. But the, the, the shot to him wasn't the kill, but the headshot. So you're thinking, oh, he's going to headshot both of them and be like this superstar. But no, they extend that fall. You know, with the watch, which was another foreshadow. Mm-hmm. She was wearing the Rolex. Yeah. And I think that was kind of tense. It was better than uh, two headshots, which you probably would have gotten from a Charles Bronson, Schwarzenegger, Stallone movie. It would have been just two headshots, and then they would have walked off. At least here they did a nice drawn-out two- or three-minute, you know, tension scene where with the fall, which was more realistic than something you would get in those other movies. There's not a lot of throwaway dialogue in this movie. Like, they make it a point to get performances out of just about everybody. Mm-hmm. That's another reason I would refer to it as, you know, the Silence of the Lambs of action movies, right? Because at its core, Silence of the Lambs, fantastic movie. It's like one part police procedural, uh, two parts like slasher movie, right? It's got all these tropes of Texas Chainsaw mixed in with all these other things. But it works so well because of the gravitas of the performances. Same thing here. Mm. It's not on the same level. I mean, you don't have, you know, uh, Jodie Foster making the, oh, God, I'm going to throw up. But just for a half second face as she finishes, you know, you don't have those little marks. But you still have way more than you would expect for a movie called Die Hard. Unless you're George. Yeah. And then you expect so much that you can't be pleased by anything. Ironically, one of the throwaway lines was yippee ki but it just hit, man. Sometimes it those hit. things just when hit. When he first says it, when he says it in the walkie-talkie or whatever it was, two-way, uh, the way he says it, yeah. it was a throwaway line, but the way he says it became like the catchphrase of the whole film just because of the way he said it. I think it was it's kinda, a happy accident. I think it was kind of one of those things where like the hero has to have a catchphrase. Hmm. So they made his throwaway. You know, sense. because in, in movies prior to this, I'm assuming, like, the catchphrase wasn't throwaway. Right. Like, the whole, like, Dirty Harry, you know, can't remember if I shot five or six rounds. Right. Have you seen that movie, Yeah, do you feel lucky? You've seen Dirty Harry, right? I, But no, you're no, familiar actually. with the, that scene, though. Yeah, I'm familiar with that scene. Like, that yeah. was his line. That was his whatever, and it, it meant... A lot, right? I know what in, you're thinking. In this, he had, because he was the action hero, he had to have a line. Right. A, a one-liner. But in this one, it was throwaway. Because, you know, this kind of is turning everything we know about action movies on its head at the time. Yeah, and sometimes they're they're happy accidents. Like, they, it's either an improv line or whatever. Like, in Terminator, when he says, I'll be back, I watched it with somebody who's never seen it before. And when they heard the line, they they were they were like, "I expected it to be bigger, right?" But it became bigger mm. because he basically just looks at the frame of the door and is like, "I'll be back." And then that's the line that became the big thing. So then, obviously, they say it in every freaking version. Mm. Uh, but 
in in the it's beginning. Like the, it's like the body through the window in every Jason movie. <laughs> or in this or movie, the laugh. dude. Dude. Oh, don't. And now I've got to go copy and paste Jason's laugh. And the, damn it, more work for me. All right, here's the you other can one. Use mine. So, guys, I was watching a slasher movie the other day where. No. A bunch of foreign exchange students met up with a couple of friends from college for a Christmas party in L.A. Hmm. Sounds a lot like Black Friday. Could one of them talk to bugs? They were just hanging out, uh, you know, maybe pulling some pranks, maybe some nefarious activities as friends are wont to do. Some hijinks. And unfortunately uh, for them, (laughs) a murderous, uninvited killer shows up. And starts picking them off one by one. Mm. Damn uninvited killers. Man. <laughs> was this called, uh, is this a movie we're going to watch at some point? Yeah. I mean, it was called, mm. it was called Die Hard. Die Hard. <laughs> and I mean, I was watching the German cut, but <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways, he becomes. Where the bank robbers are American. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, you know, it's very pro Hans. You know, it's very Hans yeah. on, right? Is that a bad one? That felt like Hans a bad on. joke. Hans. Yeah, that was Ooh, good. I like that a lot. That was subtle. That was subtle. That was off the cuff, too. Write that down. Dan uh, Dan is <laughs> stupid and shouldn't talk anymore. <laughs> but yeah, the very pro-German terrorist cut of Die Hard, where Bruce Willis is a slasher who just can't die. I mean, they shoot him, they cut him, and he just keeps mm. coming back for more. It's true. And he throws a guy out the window, just like Jason. And I think there was a reference puddle. Ooh. <laughs> Look it up. I think it was a pool of blood, but it was a reference. I mean, puddle. there was a couple of those. Jeez <laughs> Louise. For a minute, I was hoping that the the poster next to the electrical box was going to be like our reference for this movie. Because mm. it did pop up more than once. But I mean, yeah, it's like reference titties. Because <laughs> he does. He keeps going back to that same spot. There, he, he, Thank you, George, for yeah. pointing out the, you know what's the reference titties. He, he couldn't put weight on that foot after pulling the glass out, but then mm-hmm. five minutes later, he's up on the roof running around like he's never had. I mean, you know, adrenaline. once you get moving, yeah, those it's injuries adrenaline. do yeah. they 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 loosen up a little bit. You can move around on that. I don't know. I've had I've had some pretty uh, cracked feet sometimes. Hey and man, you can't walk <laughs> when human lives are on the line. That's true. And the FBI is shooting at adrenaline you. kicks in, and you just become superhuman. It's, it's what happens. What a difference a couple of years makes, though. When you look at this compared to the last movie we watched and the the portrayals of the FBI. Mm. I mean, obviously different perspectives, different directors. Interesting that these two movies could exist almost simultaneously in the market and both find success. Very strange. This is true. Yippee ki yay. I don't want to. I don't want to go on and on Yippee about. Ki-yay. I don't want to go on and on about Silence of the Lambs. No, we need to, though. We're building on purpose, George. This was an intentional move to bring you Robert Davi and the FBI after the real No, FBI. no, no. I was I was going to make another uh, another point, Do like it. another comparison. Do it. That's what so we're like, here for. You know how at the end of this movie, everything is like wrapped up in a nice, neat bow? And then right? he comes out. <laughs> at the end of Silence... It's almost a tragedy, right? Because, you know, you catch Buffalo Bill. But you lose Lecter. But you lost Lecter. Right. And that makes that movie, I don't want to say realistic, because what about that movie? 
you know what? I'm I'm gonna say it. Silence of the Lambs was pretty realistic. Yeah. Like yeah. I it's I believed it. I believed it, this could happen in real life. It has. <laughs> it really has. <laughs> Many times. I mean, it's based on a lot of things that have happened. They went to the sources, so I think that's why it feels so real. And this does not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this stuff has happened before, but although I mean. They their inspiration for this was the towering inferno. So that was unrealistic, but they just they kind of took that premise and like you said added the human element of of you know being protected from within when all the people that are supposed to protect you are actually complete total morons. And I did read somewhere that McTiernan uh was inspired by Shakespeare. When making this movie, I'm not really sure where that is. I think but. they just say that every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of looked for that. I'm like, eh, I wasn't seeing any Shakespeare in this movie. Hey, yeah, man, I got this movie opening up on 42nd Street, man. It's 1979. I'm just doing a little Shakespeare with some full penetration. Oh, and uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's just Shakespeare. Everybody. <laughs> blankets encourages Shakespeare, but we all know the truth. <laughs> Holy moly, guys. That's funny. So, George, do you like Die Hard? <laughs> Not really. Not really. And you're really going to love next week's I movie. Get, I mean, I get it. I appreciate it, I guess. It's not for me, but that's okay. Holy moly. So where do we go from where here? Where do we go from here, George? Where do we go from here? Die Hard 2. Oh, no, just Die Hard 1 again. Because yeah, I think you missed <laughs> it the first time. All right, so based on this new information, Dan, what 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 is it we do next? Do we go with our plan or? You know, it's an interesting discussion to have. I mean, we threw a few movies out this weekend. I was really excited to watch that one. I suggested mostly for my own. I love that movie, but I could just watch that movie too. But I don't think that movie falls in the line of this, even though it is an action film. I was going for a different Much deeper than that. Well, that's why, man. Because it's like, this movie did a thing and that movie did a completely different thing with so many of the same pieces. But I'm also totally cool with the one that you suggested because it also did a completely different thing with a lot of the same pieces. So I leave it to your judgment, Travis. Why don't you uh why don't you type it to me so I say the right one? Because <laughs> I don't want it's the first one. Right? Not the first one yeah, we talked about, but the first one. Yeah, I can't remember. That's the one. Okay, I'll text it to you. Yeah, text it to me. That way I we're cutting all this out anyway, right? Oh no, we're keeping no, this. No, this is gold. this is the stuff that Alicia and Aaron come <laughs> back for every week. <laughs> that and the shout outs. They love the shout out. Yeah. I'm gonna try and figure out what movie we're watching. I almost texted it to George. Oops. Hold on. I <laughs> get to Travis. Here. <laughs> Supplies. <laughs> so George. So George. <laughs> so Travis. Tell our friend yes. George where we are going, because it's obvious okay. he doesn't get to tell us. We tell no. him. No, we are going to uh, we are going to tackle a film that is in the action genre, mm-hmm. but is way more character driven. Okay, uh, a first for many. We're going to watch First Blood, which is cool. Not a Jason film. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely never heard of it. it You've never it heard of be. First Blood? 
don't know. Oh, okay. Know we were not going to tell you anything else, Travis. No, you don't know who's nope. in it or anything. Nope. Don't, know anything. don't tell him anything. Oh. Blind watch. <laughs> this is an this is an opportunity that zip it. I don't know that any uh, anyone in America has ever had before. We're going to show George first blood, and he's not going to know anything oh, about it. Oh my god! I'm so excited. This is this is gold. This, this is, is gold. On par with he Psycho. Do, with he him, he doesn't not knowing. even know what it is. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, I just got tingles in my scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> One to touch the hiney. Ooh, first blood. First blood. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited. So, my goodness, guys. Wow. I can't tell you how excited I am now. I was excited before. (laughs) I really was. But, I, you know, sometimes you just don't know if you're picking the right, and then you you make a decision Mm -hmm. based on the evidence you have. (laughs) And then it turns out that not only were you right, but why did you even hesitate? Because obviously this right. was the only way we to go. Sh- we should have known. We were there. We picked this movie before we knew he hated Die Hard. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I That's don't how on it we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, bitch. We know our shit. Holy mackerel. <laughs> I'll show you the text from today if you want. No, no, no. no don't show him those. It's got other stuff no. in it he can't see. I don't want to see the behind the scenes. It's mostly dick pics. I mean, we don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us on the Remedial <laughs> Film Plus Podcast. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, Is this where I tell my wife that that's not true? Oh, <laughs> keep. Okay. Oh, God. Keep all of this. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> all right. Thanks for joining us once again on the Remedial Film Class Podcast. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at at Remedial Film Pod. You can join us at Facebook.com slash Remedial Film Pod, or you can engage in discussion and make fun of Travis and I as much as you want. Be nice to George. He's sensitive. Uh, at the Facebook group, Remedial Film Class Podcast, Extra Credit Discussion Group. And, of course, if you're old school, you could send us an email at RemedialFilmPod at gmail.com. We're still waiting for... A cogent explanation of Michael Myers, the sexy daddy. If you've got that explanation, the inbox is open. We'll see you back here in two weeks for whatever it is that First Blood is. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks, guys. (laughs) 